Matthew 28, selection 55 in the back of the hymn book. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. Lo, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Hail! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they shall see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Amen. Every time I introduce a Baptist, I have to drink a little water. Uh, it's a great joy for me to have our dear neighbor and our very distinguished friend, Dr. Billy Graham, uh, so graciously uh, kind to us always here in Montreat. He's going to be going to Russia, and we've been reading about it in the papers. And we want to be praying for him because this is an unprecedented opportunity and a great uh, a door and effectual has been opened for him, and so we want to surround it with prayers. And I have asked him if he would come and bring greetings. I asked him to preach, 
And he said, you know, I wanted to preach in Moscow, but I'm not a consecrated priest there, so I can't preach there. And I said, well, I'll consecrate you right now. I was going to bootleg a little consecration to him and, uh, here just before it. Uh, Billy, we'll be glad to have you preach. Uh, I'll give you a, a consecration real quick. <laughs> but we want you to come and, and speak to us and tell us about your trip and preach. <laughs> Thank you very much. When I come to a Presbyterian church, I only take a sip. <laughs> I noticed he had two glasses here. This one is unconsecrated in the Presbyterian church. But uh, I do appreciate very much the opportunity of requesting prayer uh, for what proves to be a very interesting period of time in the next month. Uh, I'll just give you a little bit of the schedule for April alone because I need far more prayer for the next two weeks than I do when I go to Moscow, because I'm going, beginning this week, to tour the major universities of New England, uh, Yale and Harvard and uh, Dartmouth and University of Massachusetts, Northeastern University, and then at night in various cities in every single state in New England, we will have big uh, meetings in their coliseums or whatever the largest auditorium in the city is. In some cities, like Providence, next Sunday, we have two services because they had 17,000 requests for tickets they couldn't fill in an auditorium that seated about 12 or 15,000. So we promised to give them two services at 2.30 and at uh, 7.30. So these next uh, two, whatever's left of April, are going to be jammed, probably the heaviest and most intensive schedule of my entire ministry. And I think they're trying to test and see if at my age I can hold up as I did a few years ago. But it will be interesting to go to places like the John F. Kennedy School of Government and give a lecture there, uh, go to the Harvard Chapel and lecture there, and go to the uh, Yale University, supported by the whole university, and answer questions to students, and to the various universities. And we especially need your prayers. We start, uh, those meetings will start Thursday, though uh, Monday, uh, pardon me, Monday I have to be in, New that's tomorrow, be in New York to make television programs of the American Broadcasting Company and the CBS. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, we have our board meetings of our own organization, and we would appreciate your prayers for, for that. And then the Lord willing, on the 7th of May, we will arrive in Moscow. Now, we have been meeting with uh, religious leaders from the Soviet Union for nearly 20 years at various conferences, uh, especially the Baptist leaders, because there are only two major denominations in the Soviet Union. One is the Orthodox, uh, much larger, of course, this was the state church until 1918, and uh, then the Baptist. Uh, the various denominations were put together in the earlier years of Stalin's reign, and they were called Baptist. And that's how the Baptist grew so fast. And they have become a very powerful group of people in the Soviet Union. And. Uh, the Lord said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say go ju just to the capitalist world. And uh, so we have taken it upon ourselves to go to the socialist world if they invite us with no strings attached. Never one time has it ever been hinted as to what I should say. They said, you have total freedom to say whatever you want to say. And I'm going to have the messages that I give printed so you can read what I said in Moscow. And you're going to see that I intend to preach the gospel on every occasion and proclaim Christ. And there'll be an opportunity for a number of things that cannot be publicized, 
In fact, if it were not for those things that cannot be publicized, we might not even be going. But there are things that we will be doing and people we will be seeing and contacts that will be made that we need your prayers, that God will give supernatural wisdom as to how to handle it. And uh, this is uh, Easter, the day we celebrate the resurrection. We should do it every Sunday because the resurrection is the most important of all the doctrines taught in the scriptures because the death of Christ means nothing apart from the resurrection. And if it were not for the resurrection of Christ, everything we're doing here this morning is foolish and silly and ridiculous because it all depends on whether Christ rose. And one of the great points to me that I've rarely ever heard brought out is that when Peter preached on Pentecost and he preached on the resurrection and called on the people to repent, I would have thought if there had been any doubts in the minds of those thousands of people that Jesus had been raised from the dead, they would have all rushed to the tomb to see if it was empty. But they didn't do it. 3,000 of them were converted to Christ. One of the greatest proofs of the fact that Christ was raised from the dead. I've been going through a book called Christ a Caesar by Will Durant because I ordered the whole set of his history of civilization. And in there on the resurrection, he said that he, he approached it as a skeptic and probably an agnostic. But he said the proof is so overwhelming that a historian must accept the fact that those people believed that Christ had bodily risen from the dead. So today, he is risen. And I ask you to pray for us as we go on this journey. John Akers from here has been handling a lot of the arrangements and he needs your prayers. And... Uh, those of us that are going need prayer. T.W. Wilson is here. He will be going with me throughout New England. And uh, so we need as much prayer as we've ever had in our lives because until June 15th, we don't have a single day off. And so that is going to be very heavy indeed uh, for a person that would uh, like to spend more time in Montreat at this particular time and just rest up on that mountain and enjoy the beautiful spring that I thought was here but <laughs> has eluded us but I'm sure is on the way because the weatherman said it was and I believe that uh, we are going to see a glorious spring after all beginning I believe this afternoon thank you and God bless Calvin as he preaches <laughs> before you leave we're going to pray for you let's all stand and pray Our Heavenly Father, we are greatly blessed to have this servant of yours in our midst today and in our community. And we thank you that wherever he has gone throughout the world, he has shared the blessed gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you will keep him in safety and that you will give to him and to his associates the added strength and grace that they need for the added responsibilities and burdens which they have to carry. We pray that you will make this historic event a wonderful opportunity in which many shall come to know Jesus Christ. We pray that your keeping power will rest upon your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Billy.
We have been for some weeks in the Montreat Church studying through the Gospel according to Matthew. And of course we come today to the last chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. And it's interesting that uh, many of the people who consider um, matters of theology and uh, people who are experts in theology say that the greatest commentary on the gospel according to Matthew is written not by a theologian and not by a Bible scholar but by a musician by the name of Johann Sebastian Bach. Bach's Passion of St. Matthew, uh, which I brought with me today through the kindness of Tom Starwalt, whom I called last night about this. Bach, uh, I saw on educational television how he deepened in his faith as he grew in years how he put solo dio gloria, to God alone be the glory, to Christ alone be the glory. He scribed at the bottom of the great pieces which he wrote. This week I heard in chapel our student body singing that beautiful chorale, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, which is, it, uh, appears seven or eight times uh, during this remarkable piece. But I wonder if you have ever thought of the depth which that man gave of his own heart in thinking about the suffering of our Savior. Alas, Golgotha. Remember now, we're out on the hill. Good Friday came and the people had shouted an Aramaic phrase, Hosanna, save us, save us. They wanted to be saved from Rome. They wanted to be saved from a tyrannical government. But he will save them. But he will save them from a bigger power than Rome. He will save them from the power of sin and death and hell. Because God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. He works on a grander scale. And so, by Thursday of that week, when he was arrested and brought before Pilate, and at nine o'clock on Good Friday morning, when he was nailed upon a cross and that cross was erected, I am sure that many, even though they had heard time and again his words that he would rise again from the dead, thought that everything was over with, that it was all finished. And then I think that when I've seen some of the paintings of lifting that poor, pathetic body, and morning there were, this morning there were two uh, splendid physicians here, and anyone who's ever been in a hospital or who has ever been uh, where there is a dead body, if there's anything that looks more pathetic, I don't know what it is. And here the body of Jesus being unpinioned from a cross and let down by friends, and Joseph of Arimathea, and Nicodemus who has had a new birth, and who is strong for the Lord Jesus, who had gone to Pilate with Joseph of Arimathea and begged for that body. 
how they lovingly took that body down with the aid of friends, and how those women hastily, on that uh, Friday evening, prepared him as quickly as they could for burial, and they took him to that grave. And Bach writes these words, Alas, Golgotha, unhappy Golgotha, the Lord of glory most wretchedly perishes here. The blessing and salvation of the world is placed on the cross like a curse. From the creator of heaven and earth, earth and air shall be taken away. The guiltless must die here for the guilty. That strikes deep into my soul. Alas, Golgotha, unhappy Golgotha. Last Sunday afternoon when we began our, our Holy Week Bible studies, John Akers spoke to us of the creation, how God made man, and how man was marred and how God made a covenant with man. On Monday, Gene Taglarini spoke to us of that covenant. On Tuesday, Dr. Spence spoke to us of Christ the Mediator. And then on Wednesday evening, we came with the larger catechism as our guide to prepare our hearts for the Holy Supper. And I was greatly inspired by the activity of one young high school boy who left an athletic event to be here because he told his coach, it's more important for me to prepare for communion. And I thought, I wish I had more people who took communion that seriously, to prepare, to pick up the symbols that represent that broken body and that shed blood is an enormous responsibility for we are identified with him. And Bach saw, saw it deeply here. That strikes deep into my soul, he said. That strikes deep into my soul that the one who made heaven and earth has, heaven and, has the air of earth taken from him and is crushed under the weight of our sins. I used to wonder how on earth they could call Good Friday, Good Friday. What made it good when Jesus was nailed on that cross? But it became good because it became the only means by which the guilty sinner could be reconciled unto God, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He became the curse for us, and he bore in his own body on that tree the weight of all of our sin. That's why the sun in darkness hid. That's why the earthquake came. Tremendous things can be spoken to a truly repentant heart. 
And it's significant to me that among the last words that he uttered from that cross, he spoke to a dying criminal when he said to him, Today, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. God can say great things, and God can do great things with a truly repentant heart. And so if you have come to church on this Easter Sunday, and if you are thinking in your own heart, can God do anything for me in 1982? Can that Jesus who was nailed to the cross and then placed in that tomb and raised mightily from the dead, can he do something for me when I don't have a job when I have cancer, when there is trouble in my family, when I am surrounded by many things that hurt and worry me, yes, he can. Yes, he can. He rose from the dead, and his mighty resurrection from the dead proves that he keep, keeps his word. When he shouted, it is finished. The veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Bach could see all of that in his St. Matthew's Passion. And that's why it struck deep into his soul and made such an impression upon him. And then the account that we read, now late on the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene. Think of her, Mary of Magdala, out of whom seven demons had been cast. And the other Mary, they came to look at the grave. They came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone from the door and sat upon it. Dr. Graham and I have a very dear friend, John Bolton. And John always says that when uh, he gets to heaven, that he's sure that when the Lord assembles all of the choirs of heaven, that he will call out, Johann Sebastian Bach, <laughs> come here and lead this choir. <laughs> and John is a very patriotic German. Uh, <laughs> And uh, John also said this to me one time. He said, did you notice that the angel rolled the stone back from the door and sat upon it? And I said, yeah, I often thought about that. He sat on that stone. He said, every time you tell that on Easter Sunday, tell the children that the angel laughed. <laughs> the angel laughed. He sat upon the stone and laughed. He rolled the stone away. Not so Jesus could come out. Jesus was already out of that tomb. He rolled the stone away so the people could go in and look at an empty tomb. You don't usually think of a graveyard as being a place of gladness. And yet the angel says to these people, come and see the place where the Lord lay. I like to go, it used to be our custom to do this at home in Texas, to go to the cemetery on Easter Sunday. 
and take flowers. And I've seen my mother walk four miles to the cemetery where my father and other members of my family were buried under old cedar trees. And my mama would take flowers there and she would move away some of the things that had cluttered up the gravesite, and she would make it look pretty and she would put those flowers. And I've often looked in her big brown eyes and seen them fill up with tears. Last week when that tornado struck, struck Paris, Texas, it did terrible damage and that's where my mother and my brothers live. And I was finally able to get through to my mother who is 88 years old. And I said to her, Mama, were you scared? And her wonderful Presbyterian blood replied, what good would that do? <laughs> what good would that do? <laughs> she, she saw the cloud, but she was not afraid. Uh, well, here we are told to go to the cemetery as a place of gladness. A place of gladness because it has now been transformed. And that's the thing that's so beautiful about it. It's empty. He is not there. I'm not really all that concerned about the Shroud of Turin and the people that, that uh, make a great deal about uh, that. Uh, I really think uh, the old preachers, the old Puritan preachers who used to say that Jesus rose from the dead and folded everything up and put it in place and left. They like to put it into technology now is branding some sort of imprint on the cloth. And if that helps, I don't have any complaints, but I still like the old way better. One marvelous thing was that the place was empty, but only the angel knew it was empty. It had not been rifled of its priceless treasure. He is not here, said the angel. He is risen. Uh, Dr. Graham and I were once in India, and I remember reading while I was out there with him a biography of a great Christian mystic from India who was named Sundar Singh, S-I-N-G-H, Sadhu Sundar Singh, a holy man of God and a great Christian. And Sundar Singh told of a friend who visited Mohammed's tomb, and it was very splendid and adorned with diamonds. And he said that the keeper pointed to the tomb with great pride and said, Mohammed's bones are here. And then he said he went later to Europe and to France, and someone took him to the magnificent tomb of Napoleon. And they said to him with great pride, just think, the bones of Napoleon are here. But he said that later he journeyed to the Holy Land and he visited the sepulcher of Jesus, and nobody there said anything like that. That was the marvelous thing about the place. It was empty, and it thrilled these women to the depths that the grave was empty. The master was not there, and the power of an endless life he had risen. That empty grave was flung open for their inspection, and it lies back of the joy that is ours when we shout out, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, which has transformed and revivified the world.
in the rising of Christ, all his claims are vindicated. If he kept that promise and he came back from the dead, then I can know that my sins are forgiven. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, if he is not risen from the dead, then are ye yet in your sins and your faith is in vain. But because God brought him back from the dead, I can know that my sins, though they be many, my sins not in part but the whole are nailed to his cross, and I bear them no more. And I can praise the Lord, for it is well with my soul that the Lord has given us that great victory. That's what he wants us to know at, at this time. He wants us to know that. And when I stop and think of it, you know, they had bought fragrant spices there, the women, suggesting, I love to smell hyacinths. I've often thought if I just had a dime, I'd buy a loaf of bread with one nickel and a hyacinth with the other. I, I like to smell hyacinths. They smell beautiful. And I think of the fragrance of the empty tomb, that that tomb is empty. And you know, psychologically, there is something incredible about the fact that these earliest Christians didn't have any real interest in the shroud that Jesus wore. They didn't have any real interest even in the cup that he drank from at the Lord's Supper. We put all that stuff in later on. Paul, when he was preaching, didn't say, now I'm going to take a trip to the Holy Land. And I want to take all of you in Rome back to Jerusalem and I'll show you everything there. No. Nope. Paul knew that Jesus would be with us always, even unto the end of the world. And that's what he says right here at the end of this record of the gospel. He is risen from the dead. And when he appears unto his disciples, the 11 disciples who had proceeded to Galilee in that mountain where Jesus had designated them, and they didn't at first believe the women, and he, he appeared to many of them. And when they saw him, and I love the fact, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They were Presbyterians. Some doubted. <laughs> but that's the mark of authenticity. That shows you that this is not a propaganda document. But it's telling you the truth. But some were doubtful. But later, they get more and more proof. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. And what does he say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go you therefore and make disciples of all, and the translation here is terrible, all the nations, it's not nations, it's races. Races of people of all the races of people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and then the key, and lo, I am with you. And that word, lo, is terrible in our English today. It means look. It means listen. And listen, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. And that's why they could go out filled with such power and authority 
that on Pentecost, the very soldiers who had brought their swords and spears to arrest Jesus, and the very Romans who had nailed him onto a cross, and the crowds up and down the street heard one preach who had been forgiven for his defection and his denial and had been empowered by the Holy Spirit so that thousands were converted unto Christ. And as Dr. Graham mentioned early, he preached unto them the resurrection, and he didn't spare them any mercy. He said, you took him and you crucified him. Well, in a sense, all of us did. The old Negro spiritual that says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? I was there. I was there when I heard someone take his name the other day in a sorry, shabby, cheap, trashy way. I was there when I saw someone make fun of another person to humiliate them. Another believer. You were there when you saw this boy this morning whose family has known death because they are Christians and because they have suffered. And there are plenty of them in China today and in other places in the world. You're there and you're identified with it. But he has promised that he will be with us always. He will be with us and we will be his apprentices. And he will teach us the things that we are to know. He will lead us to the end of the earth. The other day in church I had to speak about Scotland and I'll never forget James Stewart in Edinburgh. We would we saw that film of Eric Littles and saw those pictures of King Arthur's seat in Old Reeky, the city of Edinburgh. And I couldn't help but think of, of going up into the highlands and the islands of Scotland where the Covenanters used to go and worship when they were persecuted for their faith. And James Stewart used to tell of one old minister of the gospel of Christ who refused to bow his knee to the uh, English and forcing him to worship against his conscience. And how he had met with his congregation early in the morning and they had broken bread and they had taken the cup and they had had communion together. And then one of the sentries up on a lookout post looked out at a distance and he saw marching toward them a troop of soldiers and the lookout called, break up, break up, break up. The English are coming, break up, the enemy is here. And the old man shouted out to the crowd, break up and go away. And as he gave them the benediction, he said, I may never see you again in this life, but remember this, wherever one of you goes, there will be two, and that second one will be Christ that wherever two of you goes, there will be three, and that third one will be Christ, that wherever three of you goes, there will be four, and that fourth one will be Christ. He will never, never, never leave you alone. And that's it. And that's why we can sing, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Oh God, our Father, help us to remember two things from this day. 
that because Christ is risen from the dead, our sins are forgiven through him. We who have surrendered our lives to his lordship, and if any has not make this the first real Easter they've ever had, with Christ as Lord of their life, and then his gracious promise that he would never, never leave us alone, but that he, would, he has promised us himself and that he will be with us always. How we praise you for what he did through the earliest Christians and what he does through Christians now in hard places. And we pray that he will work in our lives here in Montreat and in our houses and homes and schools and churches so that the reality of our faith may govern our style of life, our thinking, our giving, and our living. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with you all, now and forevermore.